scientists say this may be the most depressing week of the year. We beg to differ. With the great action in Houston, MLK Day yesterday, and the Dallas Cowboys winning, no, this isn't the worst week of the year. But if you do need a little pick-me-up, we've got one for you. It's called therunnerbox.com. For as little as 29 bucks, you get over $50 of hand-picked running goods delivered to your door every other month. You can cancel it anytime. you got great stuff in here, and you never know what you're going to get, which I think makes it even better. Just this month in the box, there's Element, Bonk Breaker Salted Caramel Protein Bar, a Knuckle Light Safety Blinker, Epsom Recovery Lotion, Goo Energy Chews, Sport Protein, Organic Lip Balm, PB&J Fruise Balls, Dark Chocolate Cereal, and a lot more. you got to check it out, and you can still use code LETSRUN22 to save 10 bucks. This is the pick-me-up you need to get your running in 2023 on track. If you're still on the fence, all the boxes are packed and shipped by Peckham Inc., which is a nonprofit vocational re- rehab group that provides job opportunities for persons with significant disabilities and other barriers to employment. Check it out now. Link in the show notes, therunnerbox.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. A busy weekend of running is in the books. Emily Sisson broke the American record again at the Houston Half Marathon, where she finished second behind Hiwat Gebramariam of Ethiopia. And we will be joined by Emily as a guest later on in the show, so be sure to listen all the way to the end. Elsewhere in Houston, Jenny Simpson ran 70.35 in her half-marathon debut, and Tiran Ashtababa struggled in her return to the sport after a four-year absence. In the men's race, Wesley Kiptu couldn't hold off Lille, Gebrselassie of Ethiopia after some questionable home straight tactics, while Hitomi Nia came up just short of the Japanese record, but still won the women's marathon in 219.24. Go deep on Houston. We've also got Matthew Centrowitz and Hobbs Kessler back in action on the track. Which one of them has a better shot at the world championship team this year in the 1500 meters? Plus, Mark Scott has left the Bauman Track Club to join the NN running team in training Kenya, where he's hoping to work with Elliot Kipchoge and Patrick Sang. We've got an article about his move up on the website right now. We'll talk about that and his decision to move to Kenya. This is Jonathan Gold. I'm joined by my co-hosts, the co-founders of Let's Run.com, Robin and Wellen Johnson. I'm assuming it's a very happy day in the Johnson households because in a rare occurrence, the Dallas Cowboys have won a playoff game. They have sent the GOAT, Tom Brady, packing, and next week they will march out to San Francisco for a chance to return to the NFC Championship game for the first time since 1995 guys i you must be on cloud nine right now she's got her husband jason to help pace her in this one yeah i you know i think maybe i think a time right around 70 flat or something i think she's I'm certainly not on cloud nine side. for football reasons and john i've tried to pick given up, up the high life she's feeling good i'll say like 75 
I'm a blue collar guy. I'm a Baltimore Ravens. They just opened up sports betting, John, here. There was a large promotion, $1,000 free bet. I put it all on the Ravens, straight up. I was going to have $4,000 coming my way. Unfortunately, we are no longer in the competition. Well, Robert, there was a chance for you to cash out when the Ravens were being quite competitive at halftime. Did you take this option? I did try to briefly install more money on this website to bet because the odds were better and I could have made some money. Me selling out on the team, not having faith in them, probably cost them. So my Ravens season is over. I guess I'll have to jump on the Cowboys bandwagon. But, John, I'm on cloud nine for another reason. You you left out the the biggest result of the weekend. we got to give a shout-out to the Let's Run.com singlet. She. Or should I say it? Don't say she, Robert, because you're going to take this in a direction. We know how you feel about men and women competing separately and all that sort of stuff. I I'm not trying to be sexist. Open the can of worms. I'm not trying to be sexist. I'm trying to give. I, I prefer if I have the option of being sexist or a feminist. I prefer to be the feminist. I was going to give the. This is the problem with the English language. There's too much sex involved. The singlet is neither he or she. It set a singlet record. Sixty-three thirty-seven, running on the back and chest of Dan Mahowski. Big performance for the singlet to be back out on the roads. Hadn't been there in a couple of years. Just so exciting to see the singlet out there on the roads of Houston. Well, credit to Dan. He had to start with the mass field. Now, they wasn't that wasn't all that far behind the elite runners, but he didn't have an elite bib. He was bib number 20, sorry, 20423. He beat a lot of different runners with single digit or double digit bib numbers from the elite field. So congrats to Dan on that. And Robert, let's be real. English, we don't have masculine and feminine. This isn't like French or these other languages where all nouns are masculine or feminine. In English, everything is pretty much gender neutral and you're inserting gendered language in there. So I don't know. You're the one making a mess of it, just to be clear. Well, I guess I could just keep repeating the singlet instead of saying he or she. I'm just used to Oh, it. That's why we have the word it. Anyway, well then, go ahead. Well, a couple of things. We'll put a photo of the finish. I notice he's beating some pro runners with sponsorships. These runners want to, who are, you know, are like half marathoners and marathoners. This guy's a steeplechaser. So everyone, you officially have to root for Dan now to make the Olympics. I know John's against rooting, but come on. And should we have an after-action report with him? Like, I know everybody wants to hear from Emily Sisson, and we're having it on today's podcast, but maybe we should have five minutes with Dan as well on this podcast. Like, I mean, it's tough. Like, you know, some t- if you're a Dallas Cowboy, some people love you. Some people hate you. Was he jeered by certain people and cheered by others? Were women throwing at himself after the race? And I hope not, because he's a married man, and just I wanted to, you know, maybe do we need a little more information about how it went? I'd be curious to learn what his experience was like and see if anyone cheered or jeered him for the singlet. So, yeah, Robert, I think we need a follow up after your terrific interview with him last week. And in case you don't know what we're talking about, new to the show, maybe you're here for the Emily Sisson interview. This is Track Talk, the best track and field podcast on the planet. Each week we treat running like an elite sport, not just a fitness charity run activity. But we had Dan Mikowski, who was fourth in the Olympic trials, 
at the U.S. Uh, in 2021 in the men's steeple. He ran wore a singlet in the half marathon. That's what we're referring to. But I was disgusted. There was a thread about him. I said, it's an amazing pod. We did a bonus podcast with him last Friday that we put up on the website. I was like, there's a great pod. Everyone listened to it. And some people were like, he's not a pro runner. Because, he, first of all, he did have a contract with Nike. It was just below four figures. Um, and people just like, it, it reminds me of these coaching threads or the endorsement threads. People were just always hating on other people. Like, I, like oh, and I was like, he's living the dream. Because he's married with a job and running. People are like, if he was really living the dream, he wouldn't have a job. And I'm like, I don't know. Weldon quit his job to train for the 2000 trials. And it was kind of boring just to sit around and do nothing all day. That's why we founded Let's Run.com. So, um, anyways, I think it's a cool story. I'm glad he's got some base fitness. Looking forward to what he can do. I'm definitely rooting for him to make the damn Olympic team. That's without a doubt. So, let's go, Dan. All right, so the big story here in Houston was Emily Sisson's American record in the half marathon. I think it's one that we all predicted going in. We knew she was in pretty good shape. We know that she has a history of breaking these American records. She set the half marathon record in May last year, 67-11. Then the full marathon record in Chicago, 218-29. And now she's taking the American record down to 66-52. She's the first American to break 67 minutes on a record-eligible course. And I almost feel like we take her for granted at this point. This is one of the greatest stretches a U.S. female road runner has ever put together. Two American records in the half marathon and an American record in the marathon within the span of 12 months. It's fantastic. And these sort of records, normally, you know, you need everything to click exactly right. And obviously she's had pretty decent conditions when she's run these races but usually something will go wrong you hear people hype up their fitness and that's like oh i, ha I wasn't 100 percent in my build-up or this little cramp popped up none of that's happened she's just gone out executed on race day and i'm astounded the consistency and the high level of her performances right now we need to appreciate this because if, you know 10 years from now we're going to be like wow emily sisson 2022 2023 what a runner I agree, John. We should appreciate these performances. We can't take them for granted. Yet I'm going to say that and then say, the record was soft. She's running really well. They're super shoes. Someone needed to take chunks off this record. And I think there's still a lot of meat on this bone. Because you look at the splits from Houston. She went out hard. Five-minute pace. What was the first 5K? 15 1531. Yeah, it's interesting, Weldon. So here are our splits. 1531 for the first 5K, then 1548, 1601, 1606. And then she actually picked it up a little bit for her final kilometer to the finish line. But she said after the race, she thinks she can go faster because she did not pace this evenly. She went out aggressively. And one of the reasons for this was the winner, Hiwat uh, Gibramarium, a.k.a. Hiwat Gibrokadan, she went out even faster. She went out in 15.14 for her first 5K. So she strung out the race immediately. Sissom went into this race thinking she had a chance to win it. And I think actually, if you look at the final times, Gebramariam ran 66.28. I don't think that time is impossible for Emily Sisson if she negative splits it, but it's very hard to do when you see someone who you think you're capable of beating go out to this big lead 
you're probably going to be going out a little faster than you imagine as well. So that she kind of got pulled along. She said afterwards she wants to take another crack at it because she thinks she can run faster. And let's remember, the, world, the American record now is exactly four minutes slower than the world record. I think Americans, the top Americans should be more than four minutes, less than four minutes away from the fastest woman in the history of the world. So I think she can improve on that. I'm glad she thinks that, but this was still a good performance. You think? No, I know they should be. Like even the, the even the women's marathon record of two fourteen oh four is only what four and a half minutes off Emily Sisson. What's her marathon PB? Two eighteen. Yeah, she's four twenty five behind the marathon world record, and she's like you said, almost the same gap, four minutes exactly from the half marathon world record. So, you know, but again, the half marathon is a little bit of a tricky beast because she's in the middle of a marathon buildup right now, right? Where is she running this spring? Well, she hasn't announced her spring plans. My guess, London makes sense. She's run there before. It's a fast course, but we don't know if she's in the middle. I mean, it might be this is the end of her winter preparations. And then she's going to take a little break and really get into her buildup. So we don't quite know where she's at right now. But, you know, I'm looking at the all-time list before the Super Shoes. Dina Castor, 67-34. So, you know, she had the American record in the marathon. I think the shoes are worth at least two minutes for a marathon, a minute for the half, so 66-30. I think things have progressed. I really think – I think I think Sisson's capable of breaking 66, 65 on a good day. You know, I don't think that's unreasonable because remember when Dina Castor, what, Robert, what year was that Dina Castor 67-34? Do you have it on hand? 2006. 2006. So the half marathon, the women's world record at that point was 65-40. So she was only, she was less than two minutes behind the world record. So you'd think less than two minutes behind the world record now, that's something in the 64 minute range i think that might be a bit beyond sisson the world record now is probably stronger than it was back in 2006 but should be within the you know three minute range i would think somewhere in there but kudos to sisson for going for it and going out hard because to be honest she probably shouldn't be losing well, he was the winner of the race he won gabrick kedden is 27 years of old she's from ethiopia i mean she was the world junior medals at 3000 in 2012 but she's only uh Coming in, her PB was 66.47, so better than Sisson's, but she's only a 219.10 marathoner. So th these people, they were very evenly matched up. You know what I'm saying? Like, this wasn't a 215 woman that Sisson shouldn't be beating. This is a woman, Sisson's probably thinking, I should be winning this race. Assuming. And, and, and one of the big stories behind this was Ternesh Baba, the Many think the greatest woman distance runner in history. What, three Olympic golds, a ton of – is that right, John? Three Olympic golds, former world record holder in the 5K, world cross-country champion. I mean, she's done it all in the sport. And we have predictions on our Friday 15 Supporters Club podcast. You can get that podcast every week by going to letsrun.com slash subscribe and joining our Supporters Club. We, I predicted she would win the race to Baba because I didn't see why she would fly out from Ethiopia to Houston just to run 71 minutes in the half marathon and finish way back in the pack. But that's what happened. She ran 71.35. She was 16th overall. And she wasn't competitive at any point. She went out well behind Sisson and sort of the second or third group. And from there kind of slowed. So 
I don't know. I mean, she gets a read on her fitness, but I, I found this kind of surprising that for someone who's run so fast, so many other distances, she comes out to Houston. She only runs seventy-one thirty-five. I know she's been away from the sport for four years. She had two kids in that time, but I was still surprised by that result. Anyone who says they weren't surprised is, is lying. I mean, John, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven Americans beat her. I mean, if I congratulations to all of these women who now have a scalp, they can tell their children, "I beat Tiranesha Dababa in a race." So. You know, Dababa's what thirty-seven. I, I still think she can be elite. Maybe let's just, let's just this is a starting point. But you know, if I'm Dababa, I'm focused on one thing: twenty twenty-four. At this point, she's obviously not really in shape to be a major factor this spring. So just keep building that base. I would take six months at it. Try to you know get in pretty good shape by the summer. Maybe if you want to try some track races or whatever, go ahead and do that. But and then do a big build. Try to rip a fast one in the marathon. Get on the Ethiopian team and see what you can do, um, you know, in, in the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, congrats to Elena Heyday. Are you guys familiar with her? Can't say that I am. She's an American. She finished two seconds ahead of Tiranish Baba. Elena's PB, she ran for University of Minnesota. She's run 458 for the 1500. 16-minute 5K runner. I mean, this was a big PB for her. She'd run 73 and a half marathon. And she takes down Chernish Dababa. Well, Congrats. it might be worth reaching out to her, actually. She only beat her by two seconds. I wonder if she outkicked her or something, you know, running her down in the home straight. That would be pretty epic to find out, like... I mean, maybe Elena goes on to greater things in the sport. She's only 23. But for a fairly anonymous runner to have that, to have run down an Olympic champion, if that's how it worked. I mean, that's that's kind of a cool story to tell. She runs for the Georgetown Running Company. Says, with the Georgetown Running Company, Elena hopes to better her PRs to continue to find joy in running. During the day, she works as a post-back IRTA in Epilepsy Research Lab at the National Institute of Health. I don't think Chernish Dababa is doing that on the side. So, great run for Elena. And... My thing with the Baba is I'm sort of shocked she ran this poorly. You don't fly to Houston to run for her to run this slow. I mean, three or four minutes is a big difference. So I, I was just kind of surprised. But it's still a turnish to Baba. I'm not writing her off. Do I expect her to be here's a question. Do you guys expect her to be the 2024 Olympics? No. I'm not writing her off like you guys are because the talent level's so high and she's only 37, but the more likely outcome is she's not on the at the Olympics. We're not writing her off either. He said John said he's not writing her off like we're not writing her off. Um I was going to say yes cuz she's the greatest female long distance runner ever arguably, but they just don't give away spots to the Ethiopian team. It's much harder to make like than the American team. So, well, you think in the ma- what event do you think she would make it in? Well, then the marathon. Well, good point, right? Because we just had tickets to Sefa run two fifteen and Amani Barisa run two fourteen. That doesn't include Y squared. It doesn't include. I mean, Gaday might still be on the track, but the Ethiopian team is brutal to make. You're gonna have to be running, you know, two fourteen or two fifteen type races probably to be in that conversation. 
That's why we need a couple. We need like one wild card spot in Olympics. Just one person in the world that you can. The fans vote to put them in. Like, come on, wait. The Olympics needs to sort of kind of get with the times, you know. Instead, they want to bring in like esports or some bullshit like that. Nobody wants to watch esports at the Olympics. That's just something completely else. I debate that, you know, you try to modernize. I really think they should double down on tradition. It's like, well, I don't know. Don't get me started on certain things like an Ivy League. Like, they're trying to modernize. I'm like, no, you're the Ivy League. Like, you should double down on your tradition. But, you know, the, the Ethiopian record is kind of crazy because one of the things I was going to bring up about another road race, Valencia, there was a 10K and Y squared. Yala Mirzov Yalahula of Ethiopia, former half marathon. World record holder, right, John? At one point, or did she? No, she, she she had the no, world record, no. but it was actually short, and then, well, you know, yeah, never officially had it. But this is a crazy stat. She ran twenty nine nineteen, by the way, over the weekend. Um, just missing her five k ten k world record of twenty nine fourteen. But I was like, wait, what is? How good of a marathoner is she now? I was trying to figure this out. I look it up. She debuted in the marathon last year in April two seventeen twenty three in Hamburg. That was the Ethiopian record as of. You know, less than a year ago. Now she's almost two and a half minutes off of that. So <laughs> this is a woman who runs 217 in both of her marathons. But the Ethiopians just got, I mean, you know, the world record was way down there, 214. But the Ethiopians sort of finally put up these 215s type times. And it's just a lot harder now than it was even a year ago. Yeah, we didn't even mention Alma Zayana, who kind of, sim- obviously she wasn't quite as accomplished as to Bob on the trap, but she's an Olympic champion, former world record holder, and she returned to the marathon last year and ran 217, sorry, debuted 217.20. She broke Yahalo's debut record, so, which was then broken by Letizembek Gide in Valencia. So three Ethiopian women broke the debut, debut record last year alone. If I was to Bob, maybe try to get in shape, and could she possibly get in shape to rabbit the London Marathon by April, getting 67 minutes shape? Come on, that, that's what she's going to be trying to get in shape for. That we're going to have the goat of women's running. Like, okay, your next goal is get in shape to rabbit the London Marathon. You need, I mean, you need, you need intermediate goals. Get paid. Just get used to being back in the environment. But if we're going to give a shout out for people taking scalps, how about a shout out to Anna Debaba? Sharon, I mean, twenty-six-year-old younger sister. I mean, I'm amazed she's even trying to run. Her, she's got really. She's a was a four fifteen fifteen hundred meter runner in two thousand eighteen. She's. 1559 outdoor 5000 so 16 flat you know she shows up on the roads never run a long half marathon before debuts in 7139 so beats big sis 7139 no 6922 oh excuse me she had a 70 this wasn't her debut she had run 71 uh 39 coming in and runs 69 yeah, I believe John Mulkeen on Twitter pointed out that four Debaba sisters have now broken 70 minutes in the half marathon and uh Edgeguy, who Turinash and Gonzebe. Uh, other interesting results here in Houston. I was impressed by what Molly Huddle did. Uh, when she was coming back, she had a kid nine months ago, and she's now running 70.01. The last time she ran Houston, 2020, she ran, I believe, 66, sorry, 69.34 here. So she's almost back to that result. And only nine months removed from giving birth. I was pretty impressed because her full road race results last fall weren't all that great. Obviously, she was closer to the birth at that point. 
but this was I was fairly encouraged by Molly Huddle. Now, there's still a long gap between that and what it's going to take to make the Olympic marathon team next year, but this result gave me more optimism that it's possible, at least. John, it's a big gap to the Olympic team from this, but that third spot, second spot, you know, it's definitely a step in the right direction. And if we're going there, 34 seconds behind her is a woman two years or younger, Ginny Simpson, the former world champion in the 1500. How do we assess this one? If we're praising Molly Huddle, can we be too critical of this one? 7035 is fine for Jenny Simpson. Uh, I think going in, we sort of put 70 minutes as the goal over under. It seems like on social media, she said that was her goal was 70 minutes. So she didn't get under it, but she she wasn't that far off. I thought it's fine. It's a decent start. I thought it was more than fine. I thought it was... Proof of how brilliant I are, how brilliant I am. In case you're not a supporting club member, here's what happened when we t- it was time to predict the time for Jenny Simpson on Friday's show. Jonathan Gallup's prediction was first. She's got her husband Jason to help pace her in this one. Yeah, I, you know, I think maybe I think a time right around seventy flat or something. I think she's going to go out on the conservative side, and then. Try to pick it up and close strong if she's feeling good. I'll say like 70.05. I was going to say 70.37. I was going to have us count. Wow. I mean. Was that was that your final prediction, Robert? You didn't hem and whore and change it to something else, but that, that was what you actually said officially. That's what I stuck with, John. Okay. Just want to be accountable here. Congratulations. That's a very impressive prediction. If you're an elite pro and you need a coach, give me a call. 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. I can coach you remotely. I don't even need to see you work out. I know what kind of fitness you're in just by, you know, hey. Also, if you look at the splits, Ginny went out ahead of Molly. It shows how the true long-distance runner knows how to pace it a little bit better. But she was like four seconds ahead at 5K. Um, 15 seconds ahead at 10K, and then Molly started cutting into it. But, I mean, these are two legends, American legends, right? They're on the comeback for different reasons. So it's a good thing if they run, you know, this wasn't a disaster. It's a step in the right direction for both of them. Good to see you. Let's keep it going. As long as we can have Molly Huddle and Ginny Simpson running noteworthy performances, it's a good thing for our sport. Absolutely. My question to you, Jenny Simpson, she said going in, her result would sort of dictate her plans for the rest of the year, whether she would move up to attempt a marathon or whether she'd stick on lower distances or maybe even come back to the track. After that result, if you're in her shoes, what path do you take? Steeplechase, baby. Oh, darn it, though. There's now three good American sequels when there used to only be two. Well, I guess Colin Quigley was even pretty good. So, Are there three, Robert? I mean, John, it's a tough situation for Ginny, right? Could this be a... Well, are you having to look up the name Quentin Cassidy right now? Is that what you're doing? No, no, John. 
I was looking up another name. Shows how quickly you forget. Quinn Jorgensen situation. <laughs> She's moved on from running. I already forgot her name. But essentially, Gwen's like, oh, I'm going to be a marathoner. And Jenny's at least wise enough to know maybe she's not going to be a marathoner. But could we find out? Jenny Simpson's a 1,500-meter runner. She's okay at these longer distances, but neither really one of them really suits her best. Well, yeah, his is Jenny. Jenny was a world champion on the track. She was the greatest American miler on the women's side ever. She's not going to be able to get that level of success on the roads, no matter her event. But what would be interesting, she qualified for the Olympic marathon trials in this race. The trials are next year in Orlando. She's a Florida native. I think it would make sense for her to at least run that race. Uh, I don't think she'll be among the contenders, but I think it would be fun to have her out there. But yeah, part of it comes, she wants to be competitive in this stuff, but also part of it comes to like, exploring other things, completing these items you'd like to do and having some fun with the final years of your running career. So I think a marathon would make sense. And if she wants to, she doesn't want to go into the trials blind. She might want to do one earlier in the fall, maybe like Chicago. Or, I mean, Jenny's made millions of dollars in her career and that's not an exaggeration, but if you're interested in money and I guess 50, 75,000 is not going to make that much of a difference if somebody's made so much money, but, you could just, I don't think you want to make, if she's worried about money, you don't want to blow your, I don't think she's going to be very good in the marathon. So you don't want to run the trials and then your parents' fee is going to be nothing at these races. She could wait to New York, make it. And a lot of Americans will be skipping New York. New York loves storylines and Correct. should be a good one. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense for maximizing your dollars if you want to do that. But I wouldn't want to do the hills. So anyways, let's turn to the men's race. Crazy finish there. We had sprint finish between former. Well, he wasn't NCAA cross country champion, was he, John? Wesley Kiptu. He won something in NCAAs. Help me out. 2021 NCAA indoor 5K champion. Yes. And now the Hulky NAZ elite, the Kenyan, he was battling out with Leo Gabasolasi, Oleme of Ethiopia. And Kiptu had the lead coming home. Maybe we should play the clip, but I guess no. we're not recording this live, so there's no need to. But I guess Weldon can show it if he makes this as a YouTube clip. Weaving in and out, trying to block off the Ethiopian. In the end, the Ethiopian gets him at the line. It was a sprint finish, 60-34 to 60-35. What you guys think of this finish? Like, I thought it was total Bush League. Yeah, totally Bush League, Robert. And I believe Wesley Kiptu also broke Edward Cesarek's record for most times looking back in the final 100 meters of a race. But, but yeah, you look, was, I don't know. I'm looking at the race again. I think he came very close to getting a DQ. And if Gebris Lazi hadn't won, I think a DQ probably would have been justified. He almost ran him into the advertising boards. I was, I was like, if that happened, it was totally a DQ. I just don't like when runners try to that focus more on blocking off their opponent than getting to the finish line as fast as possible. If Kip 2 just takes one look back to glance where Gebrselassie is, he knows he's very close. He's like, all right, I got to get all out to the finish and runs in a straight line. Maybe he wins this race. I just didn't appreciate being more concerned with blocking your opponent than getting to the finish line. 
look, people in track run wide. So if you want to run a little bit wide, that's fine. But they were doing turns and he was going right, what to the inside and the outside. It was ridiculous. Look, it's a great run for Kip too. Hoka Nazeli, he's training in the U.S. Congratulations, good run for him. But if he if he had won this race, he should have been disqualified. Now this gets to my bigger point though of the rule book needs a change. The proper punishment for what he did would not be to take him out of the results completely, give him no prize money, and act like he didn't finish, and then move everybody up. People who are minutes behind him beating him. The proper punishment would be to just move him back in the results. So that they should have some way of saying that's a 10 second penalty or you're placed one spot behind, you know, like I know it's a little bit dicey with the times. So I would say 10 second penalty, you know, you can also have a flat DQ, like if he'd knocked him to the ground or something like that. But in this case, total Bush league move, but the proper punishment would be like your second place. And he was second place. Sorry, guys. I've been looking at the clip of the finish here. Posted by Hoka and AZ Elite, so they must not think it's too bad. It's a 33-second clip, and I count him looking over his shoulder 25 times. <laughs> now, at some point, it's debatable because they're shooting from behind him, and he, it looks like he's looking over with every stride. And originally, there's even a turn halfway through. I'm like, oh, this is the finish, and they still take a turn. And I'm like, oh, my God, he was like looking over his shoulder before the, with a turn to go. But the crazy thing is, John, I thought he was going to run him into the board, too. And he still wouldn't pass him on the inside. If you're going to do all of that, you might as well finish next to the board yourself and make him pass on the other side, and somebody can decide if it's a DQ. He did all of that and then let the guy get by the inside. My old college coach, Steve Bartol, would, would be rolling over in his grave. You know, never let someone pass you on the inside. I think that applies with the boards outdoors. He was talking about the boards indoors, you know. But if there's a board outdoors, don't let someone sneak in right there. But um, good performance, though. Big picture. Good performance by Wesley Kip, too, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, his previous, he'd run one half marathon before last year in Pittsburgh, and he won it. And Pittsburgh is a hillier course, so I think people expected him to run faster. But, yeah, you don't get a lot of runners who come through the NCAA system running 60 low. Well, I guess this one quite 60 low, but 60-35, his first full year as a pro definitely a solid effort gebris lossi is a top top marathoner he was second in london he's run 204 a bunch so certainly a good result for kip two and naz elite and one thing i noticed was you guys saw the finish line he was not wearing gloves in the home straight this is a guy who's famous for wearing gloves no matter the conditions he wore him at ncaa cross in tallahassee he wore him in indoor track races i don't know if he started with the gloves off or if it was one of those mid-race decisions where you think it'll improve your speed and he took them off. But that was the most shocking thing of all, was that he finished this race without gloves on his hands. Yeah, John, you're talking about him wearing gloves for cross-country. No, this guy wore gloves for indoor track. And it was kind of cold in Houston, so I'm, I'm shocked. This might be a major breakthrough. Like, for the mental side, maybe Hilke NAZ now has, like a like, a mental coach. Maybe they the Cowboys could hire him real quick for the kicker. Like if they could get if they could get Wesley to give up the gloves, maybe they can teach the Cowboys kicker to kick an extra point. The thing is, I don't like that he's giving up the gloves. I like it when athletes sort of have that one thing that's theirs. They could have been selling Wesley Kip two gloves, you know, run like the pros. That's 
I hope he doesn't give away the glo- give up the gloves. I-, I like the look. I like I like it. All right, some of these other performances in the half. Real quickly, Houston is they're doing such a good job in their races. We should maybe have a list every year. We have to send someone from Let's Run to cover. And I think maybe Houston should be on the list. Give us a call. 1-844-LET'S-RUN. We always want your voicemails. But has Houston risen to that stature or probably been that stature for the last five years, maybe longer? I think so. Think of the storylines we had coming in here. We had Mance and Sisson. We'll get to Connor Mance in a minute. We had Jenny Simpson. We had Molly Huddle. We had Terenesh Dababa. They're committed to elite sport. They get good fields. It's a pretty fast course, typically. Last year, we had American records in the women's half and full marathon. This year, we get it in the marathon. Sorry, in the half marathon. Three of the last eight years, in fact. Sorry, three of the last six years. The American record in the women's half marathon has fallen in Houston. And I don't think they even had a race in 2021 due to COVID. So, absolutely... It's a top-tier American race, and I think Let's Run should be covering it in person in 2024. Maybe 2024 is a little different because it's an Olympic year. So we're two weeks out from the trials, but 2025, we should be there. It's a great time of year for racing. I mean, I, I ran Houston back in the day. I can't remember if I ran... I'm pretty sure it was the year I was trying to qualify for the trials. I was running Vegas in February, and I wanted to do a 30K workout. So I can't remember if I ran the half and then added on like another 9K if I ran the full and just dropped out at 30K. But it was something like that. But cool race. Very good job. But in terms of other results that caught my eye, Luis Grealva might have some competition for being the best distance runner from Guatemala. Alberto Gonzalez Mendez has run a new Guatemala, and he's 26. He's run. A, he's actually already had the national record. For Guatemala in the half, he's run 28-24 in the 10K. It's a national record as well this year. He ran 61-03. His PB was 61-20. So congrats to him. He placed third, uh, fourth overall, beating the likes of Shura Katata. But Connor Mance, the American, I mean, I, I like the fact that he was, the pace early on wasn't that hot. I think he had the lead. He finishes sixth, 61-12. I mean, nothing to write home about, but, you know, I think, is it amazing? Is it a new level of fitness that we've never seen from him? No, but I think it shows that he's pretty fit and, and we might have a good marathon from him, you know, this fall. But behind him, Edward Chedrick. My favorite saying is talent doesn't go away, but this is really disappointing for me. Like, he had shown some promise by getting, what, second in the New York City half? Was that last year when he did that? And I'm like, oh, is he going to regain the magic? And the answer appears to be no only eighth place now i know sketchers may not have a super shoe which is a joke so if, if we took his if he had a super shoe he might have been third in this race like i don't know he can't be expected to run the roads without super shoes yes yeah, certainly it doesn't seem like he's doing himself any favors with running with the sketcher's shoes but that's also that's his sponsor so he's in a tough spot but yeah, Robert, you pointed out last year in New York City half, he was second. He was seven seconds behind Ronex Kipruto, who's one of the best roadrunners in the world. And he was over a minute ahead of Connor Mance in that race. And now in this race, he loses to Mance by 39 seconds in 61.51. And I don't know what point Chesarek's at his training. You never quite know how everyone compares against each other. But 
you know, Mance, at least he's got Boston his, on the horizon. That's his big thing. You would think Cesarek would be maybe ready to take him in Houston over the half marathon distance. So, yeah, I would say a disappointing performance for him. On the men's side, none of these times are really that fast. Kip 2, I thought a good performance. Mance, not that great. Cesarek, disappointing. But I didn't realize. I went further and further down. Only one spot ahead of Dan Mikowski is Shadrick Kipchurch here. He's one of America's best 10K and half marathon record holders. If the singlet had gotten that scalp, maybe a bonus would have been in store for Dan. Instead, he'll just have to keep wearing that Let'sRun.com gear we sent him. Yeah, I was going to point that out as well, Weldon. That's not a good race for Kipchurch here because that same New York City half last year, Kipchurch beat Connor Mance convincingly, ran 61-16. He's the reigning U.S. cross-country champion, the U.S. Olympian on the track. He was fourth in the U.S. 20K champs last fall. He was fifth in the 10K on the track at USA's last year. He was AK champion. And that was his debut. New York last year was his half debut. So definitely a step in the wrong direction. Yeah, he should be much faster than 63-25. And the conditions, I don't know, times seem to be a little on the slower side. I didn't think the conditions were all that bad. It was... 50s and 60s for the half. And Hitomi Nia ran pretty quickly in the women's marathon. We'll get to that in a second. She came up short of the her goal, but I don't think they can say conditions were that much of a factor. This is just a performance by some of these athletes. All right, let's turn to the, to the actual full marathons. We hyped it up. The debut as an American for... Ethiopian-born Tishome McConan, who's this? What is he? Sub sixty guy, John? Sixty oh two half marathon. You know, had never done well in the marathon. He's actually in the lead group at forty k. Doesn't get the win. Finishes third in two eleven oh five. The win goes to thirty four year old Dominic Onduro of Kenya two ten thirty six with um Ethiopia's set at Ayana second two ten thirty seven. You know, sprint finish. Onduro, I was looking him up. I mean, this guy seems to win a lot of U.S. road races. He won Philadelphia and Twin Cities last year, won 20 cities, Twin Cities in 2019, has a 208 flat PB. If you actually think about COVID and how, like, who really hurt, got hurt, it's people like him. Like, he's got no results at all for 2020, 2021. And he probably doesn't have a shoe contract of any significance. But he's, you know, picking it up. You know, he gets 30K for this win. And he's picking up 20K in other races. And, you know, and then to not race at all would be a big, big hit on on his income. Um, I think Ayana, right, the runner-up, John, hasn't he run like two hundred six something? He has run two hundred six. That's his PB from Dubai in twenty twenty, and then last year he ran two hundred eight twice. So, Mekinen, I don't think he, there's any shame in losing to these guys. He lost to Onduro, who's a veteran road racer, knows how to win marathons, and Ayana, who's a two hundred six guy. So to get dropped by them late in the race, okay. That that's sort of the positive spin on it is he was with them until close to the end and then fell off. The negative spin is even at halfway, you know, his coach Harron Lagarde told me he thought, you know, somewhere in the mid two oh sevens would be possible for him. But even at halfway, he had fallen off. Uh the leaders were sixty four thirty one, Mechanham was sixty four forty. So 
you know, 209 low pace. And then they slowed over the second half. That allowed Mekinen to catch back up. But 211.05, you, you know, it's, it's third place is okay. 211.05, it's not the time you were looking for. And I saw they had a post on Instagram on the peak running elite feed that he had more issues with his water bottles, which is also what he had in Ottawa in his last marathon where he ran 213. But at a certain point, you know, three marathons in, he's a sick, he's, seems like his event his best event is easily the half marathon and not the full marathon so i think we might need to temper expectations on him a little i'm not saying he can't still be a factor at the olympic marathon trials next year and you've got a 6002 half marathon pb you're going to be a person of interest but he hasn't he still doesn't have the marathon result to really turn that hype machine into overdrive when you talk about the biggest losers i think it might be him in terms, of, I mean, I'm glad he's competing for the win, and it's a better result for him. But I think if he had run a 207, this guy would have made north of five hundred thousand dollars. He'd be getting multi, north of six figures endorsement contract as an American 207 runner. Wait, and wait, now, wait, wait! Leonard Correa has run 207 in, in his marathon debut. Do you think he has a five hundred thousand dollar Nike contract? Because I sure don't. No, I'm not saying per year, but I think you might make $150,000 a year for three or four years through the next Olympic cycle. Like, you know, again, if, if we're going to be paying, help me out with my old Miss guy every week, I bring it up. Waleed Suleiman. Waleed Suleiman, I heard he's making six figures coming out of college. Why wouldn't one of America's top marathoners also make that? So I, I just, I'd heard this story. You wrote the profile of him when we first found out he was an American. I was like, oh, I should coach this guy, help him with his English, get him down there. Hopefully he gets a lot of money because it's just, you know, I mean, he's he's trying to live the American dream. I'd like to see him financially. I mean, the rent he, he would have won $30,000 for winning this race. He'd get a nice appearance fee at his next marathon. But behind him, Parker Stinson, fourth place, 2-12-11, so a minute back. Tyler Pennell, 2-12-16. So he... He beat a couple of Americans who, like, guys who are thinking, like, oh, I got a shot to make the next Olympic team. But now, right now, he's sort of, he's in that pool, right, of guys who, like, hey, and he's ahead of those guys, obviously, and he's run a 60-flat half. So for him to get it right on that day and make the Olympic team, I don't think it's that much of an ask. Now, John, what's the time you need to be able under to be automatically eligible for the team? I think it's two eleven thirty. So he did get under that two eleven oh five tens and So if he's top three at the trials, he will make the team. Whereas some of these other guys, I mean, we, we just assume top three at the trials next year in Orlando, people are going to have to run under two eleven thirty. So you know, if you're top three, you'll make it. But I don't know if it's windy or whatever. You know. I was like, oh, maybe it's always kind of windy in Houston. I'm like, oh, maybe the conditions weren't good. But we we saw a PBs in the women's half. And let's talk about the women's full marathon. To me, this is one of the biggest stories, you know, of the race from a worldwide perspective. And Japan's Hitomi Nia was going for the national record. I think it's 219.12, which is. Which is also the American record. Well, old American record under Kira D'Amato, right? Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was right on it on that pace, but she ends up running 219.24, winning by over six minutes. So 
amazing run for her, very close. You know, she looks happy. You see the picture behind me in her cowboy hat. But I, I saw this result, and I thought, what is wrong with our sport? How in the world is the Japanese woman going for the national record? Japan is a marathon-crazed country. Middle East is a little bit of a sexist country. But they're marathon crazed there. Road running is a big deal. And she decides to go for the Ameri for the national record in Houston, where she's probably barely showing up on TV. Like, why? Wouldn't a, a local race pay her more? Or like, what's the whole point of the endorsement contract? Like, I guess people would still know oh, whatever she, whoever she runs for, Nike, Adidas. Um, it's like, who she, it looks like she's an Adidas. I don't know. She's got some corporate team and Adidas. But like, I guess they can steal promoters and national record holder no matter where she does it. But like, to me, this was wrong. She should go for the national record in a race in Japan. Like, we have Tokyo coming up. Why wouldn't you do it there? I thought I read somewhere, maybe she talked about pressure. Is it, have you, John, do you have any explanation for this? This is just me very confused by this result as a fan. I'm always thinking about it from the fan perspective. What about the fans? And from a fan perspective, if I'm a Japanese fan, I'm not happy about this. Hmm. Robert, where was this criticism last year for Kira D'Amato when she went after the American record in Berlin instead of Chicago? I don't remember you making this point at all during that stretch of time. Well, Kira D'Amato had run the World Championships in August on U.S. soil, and she represented America. So where else is she going to go get the American record? She, she she can't turn around that quickly and run Chicago. What do you wait? Hold on. It's, no, 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 no. She ran Berlin. She came short of the record in Berlin. She would have had more time if she had run Chicago instead oh. of Berlin. And Chicago is where the American record ended up being broken. I'm not criticizing Kira. I don't mind the decision, but you didn't seem to feel strongly about this same issue last fall when an American was involved. Well, Berlin's at least regarded as one of the fastest races in the world. Houston is not. It's flat, but it's windy. Like, wouldn't Tokyo, is Tokyo hilly? I'm just, so I don't know the answer. Maybe Houston is regarded as faster and there's more pressure. I mean, I don't know. I, I just, fair enough. I, I didn't criticize Jamato for not going to Chicago. I, I just, at least Jamato went to a major that's probably broadcast internationally on TV. Like, Hitomi Nia has always marched to the beat of her own drum. This is a woman who, took four years off in the middle of her career. She was one of the country's best distance runners. Then she returned. Remember, she broke the half marathon Japanese record in Houston in 2020, running 66.38. She said she hated running. She still hated running when she broke that record. She's always kind of done things her own way. And maybe she just had a good experience with that race and wanted to come back and run in an event that she was familiar with. I don't know, Robert. She came very close. I actually feel bad for her because halfway, she was well under record pace. She came through in 69.09. She was running with a, an Ethiopian, actually, Mule uh, Dekeb. And I think that's part of the reason why she went out so quickly. She was on pace to get this record at 40K. She was on 219.10 pace, and then she just couldn't quite hold on. Ends up running 219.24, still a two-minute PB. She looked disgusted when she finished. She was very unhappy in the immediate aftermath. Then she, uh, I think she realized what a strong performance it was. She's number two all-time in Japanese history. She was celebrating afterwards with the cowboy hat. But 
I don't know exactly why she did it, but I I don't mind. I mean, she took a shot. She came close for Japan. For Japan, would it have been more exciting if she did it at home? Maybe, but I was glad she was in the race. She's fun to watch. Yeah, I think, John, this is like the Simone Biles of Japanese marathoning. This, as you said, she stepped away from the sport for four years. She was like this Japanese, you know, 10K sort of young phenom. Essentially retires, then comes back. I, too, was shocked she didn't do it in Japan, but she doesn't like the pressure of Japan, it sounds like. She has set a Japanese half marathon record in 2020 in Houston. So it makes sense. Okay, I'm going to go. I go to Houston. No one is going to pay attention to me at the press conference, really, or barely. You know what I'm saying? And if she breaks the record, Japan is still marathon mad. Her sponsors still reward her for being the marathon record holder. Like, I see now why... if anyone's going to go do it in Houston who's Japanese, it's her. It makes sense in, in that aspect. So it's too bad she could have gotten the record. But, you know, we have Tokyo coming up. What, Nagoya has 250? Is it Nagoya? Osaka. Which race is 250,000 for first place? Nagoya. So, I mean, there's a lot of spring marathon opportunities for Japanese women. Um, I wonder what's next for her. Well, this fall, Japan will have their Olympic marathon trials, right? I think they had it in for the 2020 Olympics. I think the event was in September or October of 2019. I think it's they're doing that again. I think it's fairly early in the fall. So if she had done Nagoya, she would have had time to recover. But if she wants to stay in the marathon, that would be my guess is in the fall, she would go for the Olympic trials. I think that's going to do it for Houston. Let's turn to the track now. Still fairly early in the track season, but we saw a lot of athletes starting to open up. They get their rust buster in, if you want to call it a rust buster, before the big indoor races come in February. We've got the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix on February 4th, Milrose February 11th, USA's February 17th and 18th. Couple results caught my eye. Matthew Sensowitz came back First track race since August 2021 at the UW Preview in Seattle. He was entered the mile in the 1K. He only ended up finishing the 1K. I'm not sure if he actually... He's listed as a DNF in the mile. I don't know exactly what happened there. He ran part of it. Okay. So, don't really know what's going on for that. But fifth place in this 1K, 222. And he was racing some pretty good guys, though. The winner was Sam Ellis, who was third at NCAAs last year for Princeton, 218. He's now running at UW. I don't think he has indoor eligibility. Joe Wascom, the NCAA 1500 champion, was second in 218, 77. And then fourth was Johnny Gagarik, who made the U.S. World Championship team last year in 220-74. So nothing mind-blowing by Centro, but he's at least back running. And then another result... Hobbs Kessler runs 357 for the win in Michigan, and he's now started off his 2023 season with a couple victories. He ran 220 in the 1K last week and then 357 in the mile. My question to you, Robert, I think this we're an interesting point here. Centro Olympic champion 2016, 33 years old, trying to get back to the top level. And then Hobbs Kessler, 334 as a high schooler, he's on his way up. 
he's 19 years old. Which one of those two do you think has a better shot this year to make the world championship team, Kessler or Centrowitz? This year? That's a good question because I don't... I'm kind of expecting a big year for Kessler. I was wondering if this is the year he's going to be breaking out. So I'm running in December, the road mile in Hawaii. 357's pretty good. I, I think it has to be Kessler, the more I think about it, because Centroid says he doesn't really care about making the team this year. It's all about next year. 222, I mean, that's a pretty good college time. It, it's nothing good for a pro. By the way, Sam Ellis, didn't I say on this podcast some point might he be the best miler for UW? I know they have the NCAA champion, but this guy had he's older than Joe Wascom. He was really good at Princeton, came pretty close to winning NCAA title, and was in the hunt for it. Um, great result for him, two eighteen. So, congrats to him. But I, I think the answer is probably Kessler. I and mean, then if I'm saying it, it's this year, wouldn't Kessler be even better next year? Wow. Okay, what's your answer for this year, John? My answer is Centrowitz, and it's because the fact that he's racing in January. How often is this guy even healthy in January? I know he missed all of last year, but he's a guy who can put it together pretty quickly. We've seen him do this many times in the past. When he made the Olympics in 2021, he almost beat Cole Hawker at the Olympic trials. He ran 349 that summer. He didn't race at all. Well, he ran one race in the 1500 in March. In th- he ran 340. And then he didn't race again until April in the 800, and he ran 150 in his opener. But by May, he was down to 335 and 146, and then he's on the Olympic team a month later. So that, to me, the fact that he's out there racing in January, if he can just stay healthy, and that's a big if for this guy, but if he can stay healthy the next six months, Yes, I'm giving him a better shot at making the team than Kessler. Some pretty good logic. That being said, 222 in the 1,000 is only like a 403, 404 mile. So he doesn't really improve. Didn't he run that what he ran in the road mile, Central? Yeah, I mean, 222, I mean, a really good high schooler can run 222. The fact that he's healthy, he's got six months to get in shape. I think the answer is Central. I'm gonna, you, you talked me out of it, John. I'm not afraid to make a, made a mistake. But I also wouldn't be surprised if this is your Kessler blows up. I'm also wouldn't be surprised though if Kessler never blows up and is this great miler. We just don't know. And that's what makes the sport kind of fun. Here's the stat for you. You know, like 357, it wasn't it some sort of Michigan track record or something or very nice club track record for Kessler. I don't know, fastest mile time by the group at the home track. Something like that. Here's a stat for you. Guess how many NCAA athletes, or a trivia question for you, how many NC athletes broke 357 in the mile last year? Indoors. 20. 30. So I was looking at some of these results. I mean, I, I was blown away by these results at, at UW. By the way, Stanford, like there's a thread on this. Here's the Stanford milers at the beginning of January. And they're not even all milers. They're not really even milers. Kai Robinson, who... 355, the Australian, 355.87. Cole Sprout, 356.53. Thomas Boyd, 357.06. They go one, two, three. They also had John Lester, six, 358.88. So they got four milers at the first meet of the year under 359. I mean, ridiculous. Kai Robinson, we, we cannot be, I mean, this guy was good, but 10th at NCAA Cross, he's just a better track runner because he went right after NCAA Cross, 10th place. 
He goes out and wins the BU 5K, 1311. And now he's just keeps it going 355. So we've got to get a collegiate, the, the college team, the top teams need to get together. They need to break 16. That would be a great fan event. Promote it now. We're going to go for the national record for sub 16. Maybe do it at Penn. I know it could be windy, but do something for the fans. It would be a fun event. Let's go for that sub 16. So shout out to those, to those, uh, quick times but then I, I i just i was like wait a minute didn't everybody run fast last year yep 30 guys under 357 in college now that counts altitude conversion times but ridiculous yeah that's maybe why we shouldn't be going gaga over hobbs kessler just running 357 but he beat morgan beetlescum in that race who was the ncaa runner-up in the mile last year i just like that he went he's won he's won his two races he beat charlie grice and eric avila in the 1k last week that to me is the good sign that he's beating pretty pretty decent people but he's going to be tested you know once he faces better competition in faster races john i'm glad that your assessment of the hobbs because i'm looking at one of the most downvoted posts of the week maybe that should be a new segment 77 downvotes five upvotes so what cobbs kessler's professional approach should be running faster than collegians the uninformed opinions on the Let's Run forums. We love you guys. Keep posting, keep generating content for us. But can one question: Can pros take prize money? Can pros take can prize? Pros money? take prize money. I think so. Well, can collegians so. take prize money? What are they to start setting up races with prize purses? No, because that's pay for play. The, what's allowed is name, image, and likeness, but when you're actually rewarding them for athletic results, that still isn't, that's fully professional. That's not allowed under the NIL rules. You have to turn down the prize money. Even when I was coaching, you could accept road race prize money as long as you pay for expenses. Only to cover expenses. If you're offered a hundred thousand dollars, you can't say it costs me a hundred thousand dollars to go run the New York city marathon. But can you take it for expenses of saying I'm only on a half ride? I need another half. $20,000 $20,000 to pay for my college tuition. I don't think so. That would be a really smart way. Well, have like a home dual meet or a home meet with some terrible team and you guys could rack up all the money. But I don't think that's how it works, Robert. All right. A couple other results that, that caught my eye this weekend. Um, Cause we want to get to one other thing about uh, a piece that John's written and then get out and get you to the Emily Sisson interview. Rosen Willis, the world junior champion at the 800 meters. She made her collegiate debut for Stanford. She ran 53.65. You know, nothing. Or shouting a little faster. Indoor PB for her. She ran 53.87 last year. Juliet Whitaker, the U.S. junior record holder, her teammate at the um, – I don't know if she's a U.S. junior record holder, but she broke – she was the fastest one last year, 159. She won the 800 and 202 in her collegiate debut. Did you see this, John? Shamir Little in Arkansas. I mean – Everyone's talking about Britton Wilson set the collegiate record, 125.16 for 600 meters. But she was spanked by Shamir Little, the 400-herder, 124.65. Maybe Shamir should move up to the 800. Although, I guess the U.S. is pretty good at the damn 800. So we're pretty good at the 400 hurdles and pretty damn good at the 800 as well. Still a good run. I was impressed by Shamir Little in that race, though, Robert. And, yeah, Britton Wilson, 400 hurdler. She's also run the 400. Breaking a thing Mo collegiate record, I know it's not her strongest collegiate record, but when I think Mo ran that time 2021, 
125 AD, she went on to win the Olympics, the 100 that year. So for Wilson to run faster, 125.16, pretty good start to her campaign. All right, John, and we just published an article that you did. You're breaking the news to the world. Mark Scott, I think we knew he was leaving the Bowerman Track Club, but we didn't know where he was going. And it's a pretty cool story. This is the British guy that won the world uh, bronze medal in indoors and in the in the uh, 3,000 this year. He's got super fast PBs. 12 British record holder, right? 5,000? No, I guess Mo. Mo Indoor 5,000, 1257. 1257, 2710 guy. He's going to try to doesn't want to make the move to Eugene. He says he gained a lot from Jerry Schumacher, Bowman Tricop, thought he would always spend his career there, but they said they're moving. He's like, I don't really want to move. I'd rather be more based in Europe anyways. Maybe I'll be based in Kenya. He's going to try to join the NN running team. Well, he's part of the NN running team, which is the LA Kipchoge team. He's got, got the new agent, the same agents that they all use kind of type thing, same agency, and is hoping to be coached by Patrick saying and move up to the roads and go for the marathon. So, You've got a lengthy Q and A. I really enjoyed it. Good job on that. But, um, what do you think, John, was the biggest reason for for the move? Well, if you read the Q and A, he said there are a few reasons. But the one that was most interesting to me was he just didn't want to move to Eugene. And talking to some of the Bowman athletes at Worlds last year, they didn't seem to mind the Eugene thing that much, but also maybe they were just trying to downplay things. They were in the middle of a world championship. This news was kind of sprung on them right before that. But I was like, oh, I guess they'll, will they all be fine with just moving to Eugene to still be part of this team? And it's not that far from Portland. And Mark kind of thought initially, oh, we can just commute. It won't be that bad. But then kind of thought about it some more and decided not to move. So I found that interesting that he didn't want to move there because it was going to be in Eugene instead of Portland. But there was more to it than that. He also suspected he wouldn't get as much individual attention from Jerry Schumacher because Jerry would now be coaching a college team. He'll have all his individuals as well. If he wants to be running on the roads, it might be hard. I'm not sure how much more individual attention he would get from joining Patrick Sang's group. They have a pretty big group there as well. He's got some pretty high-profile athletes he's got to take care of. Faith Kipigon. Jeffrey Camor, Elliot Kipchoge, obviously. Uh, but then the other thing is, yeah, he's moving to the roads and would like some training partners for that. Their, Bauman doesn't really have half marathon marathoners at the moment. In Kenya, you're going to have tons of people to run with. So I think it's fascinating. I think it's a very interesting step. We don't see a lot of British or American. We've seen a few, but we don't see many British or American runners take this step of moving to Kenya and train there. So... I'm very excited to see how it plays out. It's it's totally fascinating. It reminds me, I mean, if he actually moves there and we'll link to the article in the show notes. I mean, you had a section about like, Hey, you might not even have your own dorm room or a toilet. And he's like, that doesn't bother me, but it reminds me of, of, of the New Zealand, of the Kiwi twins, uh, Jake and Zane Ray, Robertson went out of high school. They just moved to Kenya and went all in kind of on the spot. And I just think it's exciting to see a, another Western athlete willing to do that. Um, He's never even been to Kenya. He's never even met Kipchoge. But also, I just, you got to read the whole piece because so much in the media, you can read one part of something and think, oh, he's, he's taking a dig at Jerry Schumacher or you know, he doesn't want to move. Oh, the athletes are unhappy. But if you read the whole thing, he had a great time there. He ran faster. He thinks faster than he thought he would ever run in his life. But it's time to try something else. And 
I think some people who read this article, John, will be surprised. I thought some of your questions had a little bit of a negative slant about Jerry's been known for being stubborn and, you know, this and that. I mean, you're kind of known as the guy that carried the Bowerman Track Club's water in the Shelby Hulane case and gave them the benefit of the doubt. And here, I thought you might have been overcompensating a little bit, like, what about Jerry's tough workouts? And uh, is it hard to adjust to the program? And uh, he, what do you think you'll have time for you? And I don't know. I enjoy I didn't ask, like, Harvard, this is a total mischaracterization. He's the one who said he thought Jerry wouldn't have time for it. He, I asked him what he liked most about Jerry, and Mark told me he liked the stubbornness. So let's just get facts straight here. I'm asking questions people want to know. What was the hardest workout he's done to Jerry? I don't think that's a negative at all. Jerry's known for his hard workouts. People want to know what they are. I thought that was one of the most interesting things I learned from the interview was, he gave us the insight into a Jerry Schumacher speed workout. He said they would do all-out 300, all-out 200, six 150s, progressing every 50 meters, and then all-out 200 and all-out 300 to finish it. That was one of the most interesting parts of the interview to me. Maybe um, maybe that my tone's coming off inappropriately. I love the interview. I thought it was amazing because it, it showed all sides and how complex things are. And like He was very complimentary. He loved the team, but he's moving on. And I mean, he talked about how Jerry was a great storyteller. Like, yeah, you asked what's your favorite part, and he talked about he's just a good guy, and he's fun. But the quote, you know, when he said what was his favorite part, I love this quote. He said, I liked his stubbornness and knowing that the decision he made was for the benefit of the given athlete he was working with. He would send people to different meets when he could, maybe send everyone to the same meet as an example. Everyone, everything was really set up for the given outcome. And the build-up for the world champs, based on whenever day you were competing, count back the days you'd have your last bit of workout 10 days beforehand. That means people were driving to the track on different days. It was an hour drive from where we were living. Blah, blah, blah. So everything was about the athlete. So I just thought that was good. But, you know, in terms of the move, I, I guess early on, because you were asking about what people thought about the move, this reminds me of anything in sports. It's like here in Baltimore, the media is obsessed with Lamar Jackson. Did he sit out? Are people mad? Some people are going to be mad that he didn't play in the game. Some people aren't going to be mad. I mean, some people are making the league minimum. They don't have a lot of sympathy for a guy who made $20 million. But some people kind of have a different perspective. Like, well, he could make $500 million. So it's just life's complex. And I, I just, I really enjoyed the piece. Okay, a few things I didn't know. He's never been to Kenya and he's going to move to Kenya. Like, this is fascinating. There's a whole angle. But he won't move to Eugene? But he'll move to Kenya where he's never been? He says he doesn't mind not having a toilet. Hey, dude, until you've done it, I'm not sure about that. But I applaud him. Where are the best marathoners in the world, essentially? Kenya, Ethiopia. Go there. This is so outside of the box. Yes, the Robertsons have done it. But for an established pro, Western-based pro to move to Kenya, it's unheard of, right? I mean... Well, I... I don't think it's totally unheard of. It's not that he's, you know, he's going to be splitting time there. He'll be there for his buildups, but we've seen. It's, I don't think it's totally unprecedented, right? The holes used to train in Ethiopia. I think Des Linden's been to Kenya or Ethiopia to train. Uh, Sandre Moore, Sandre Moen of Norway. He's been to Kenya. Like it's not uncommon for them to have train for some of these top Western pros to have training stints in Kenya. We've seen Abdi Abdurrahman has gone to Ethiopia. Obviously, he's from Somalia originally, but I don't think that part in itself is all that uncommon. But joining Sang's group, which 
It's not official yet. He needs to go there, meet Patrick, have a conversation, make sure his all's kosher. But that is a big step because I can't remember any Western athletes joining Patrick Sang's training group. Maybe, maybe some people will hop in for workouts, but I don't know of any Western athletes actually staying at the Cop to Got camp and being part of the group like Scott would be. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what I'm saying. Western athletes have gone. They've lived in Kenya. I mean, not super established for a long time, and it sounds like he's going to split time. But no one has gone to train under Patrick Singh. So if this happens, I think it's sort of groundbreaking. But if you're going to go to the roads, why not? Everyone wants to train with like a Western coach. Let's see how this works. And uh, But I'm fascinated if he hasn't been to Kenya, that, that whole angle. I mean, it may, it may be just very foreign to him. And Mark Scott's parents, they stayed in the Let'sRun.com house at the World Championships. So does this mean we can stay at Patrick Sings? But I, I, I'm sorry. I'll tell Kipchoge, no, sir, I need my own bathroom. I'm sorry. I will not share a little room with you. No, no, no. Maybe, maybe you could stay at Kipchoge's house while he's in the camp all week. You know, he, he only comes back for the couple of days of the weekend. So maybe you can ask his wife if she, you can stay at his place. I'm sure it's pretty nice. I mean, maybe we're playing up him moving to Kenya because he says that he wants to spend more time in the UK. And it sounds like he doesn't like spending all the time at altitude. He thought Jerry spent a little bit too much time at altitude. So maybe it's just going to be kind of where Paulo used to do. He used to go to Kenya for a while and then. I think he'll back. be there for his marathon buildups and he'll be in the UK the rest of the time. So it'll probably be about, or for a half marathon buildup, whatever his main race is going to be of the full of the spring. So I bet it'll end up being about 50-50 Kenya versus UK. But he, he thought that Jerry wouldn't be able to spend two hours on a bike ride with him now that he's coaching in the University of Oregon. And that's true. And then I thought to myself, though, but will Patrick Sang have two hours of bike ride for you? But then I realized Patrick Sang can send all the guys out for the 30K long run. And, you know, he can see the straggler mark come by like a minute after Kipchoge or actually probably two or three minutes after Kipchoge. Yeah, but I think that the thing is, obviously, he's not going to be able to get like Patrick on a bike ride with him every session because Patrick saying coaches dozens of marathoners, but you will at least have people to run with. Whereas at Bowerman, if he didn't have Jerry with him for a workout or something like that, he wouldn't really have anyone else doing marathon workouts. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. And you, you have all these people to run with you. Will that raise your performance level? Because you're now trying to keep up. Obviously Mark's run pretty fast in the, half already he won the great north run last year so i think it's just an interesting move and it's always fun to see how these things turn out with the, there's a big component of the unknown and the unknown is always pretty interesting in the sport all right guys well we do have a big race this weekend big race to us the u.s cross-country championships where the u.s will be picking the team for the world cross-country championships next month in Australia. Robert, will we have boots on the ground? It's in Richmond. That's not that far away from your home in Baltimore. Will you be there? I think I will be. I'm excited. I can't rip the U.S. pros for skipping it and then not show up myself. But my shovel of the year award, I think, is going out to Morgan McDonald. I briefly talked about this on Friday. This is the Aussie, former NCAA cross-country champion who apparently isn't going to even bother to run cross, the world cross-country champs in his own home country. I, I just, I, I don't get it. Your shovel of the year award? 
Yeah, that's the thing they have on the local radio. Like shovel of poop, I think is what they call it or something. Oh, wow. Wow. But, you know, people, everyone's worried about getting their 10K qualifier. By the way, you can get your 10K qualifier on the roads. All you got to do is 127.10. You get it on the roads. There was, no. That's that's still hard. But with the super shoes, it might be easier than doing it on the track. And there was a 10K in Valencia that I briefly mentioned earlier in the women's side. But Weldon, a guy by the name of Weldon, Weldon, I think Legat won it, 2650-something. But something like 10 guys picked up the 10K qualifier. Yet, you know, so for some reason, it's going to kill the Americans to get in shape. Like, they could have run it this weekend in Spain, run U.S. cross this weekend, and then been ready to go. Well, we'll talk more about U.S. Cross on the Friday 15 and preview that. Lex and Leo Young are going to be there, Robert. And Irene Riggs, the trivia question. Or Lex and Leo Young are entered. I assume they're running. Uh, The trivia question that you could not get right in our year-end quiz, the NXN girls champion, Irene Riggs. She's running there as well. Carrie Beloga, who's the footlocker champion, is also in the field. So there might be some decent junior teams going to Australia. But we'll do our full in-depth preview of this on Friday for Supporters Club members. Yeah, if you want to join the Supporters Club, go to let'srun.com slash subscribe. But up next, we have our interview with the first American record holder in the half marathon on the female side to have an official PB under 67 minutes. Emily Sisson. Our guest is an NCAA and U.S. champion on the track, a U.S. Olympian, and the American record holder in the half marathon and marathon. She already held the American record in the half marathon before last weekend, but on Sunday in Houston, she ran 66.52 to take 19 seconds off her American record and become the first American woman under 67 minutes on a record eligible course. We're very pleased to be joined by Emily Sisson. Welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast, Emily. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're joining you on Tuesday, two days out from the record. Uh, the quads feeling good? Are you fully recovered from the effort yet? Yeah, actually, I, I do feel fully recovered, and uh, I, I do think the shoes help with that. Um, but yeah, lately, the last few races, I feel like I've bounced back from them pretty fast, and I felt that way after Chicago, too, which I was just shocked by. Um, that was just so different from my last two marathon experiences. So uh, yeah, feel good and feel excited to get training for my next marathon now soon. Yeah, I feel like you're on, you're like you're like clockwork at this point. You go to an American record, you just bounce back, and then you hit another American record, bounce back, hit another American record, and now you've got a spring marathon coming up later this spring, which you can't announce yet, but you know I'm sure in due time we'll learn about that. I wanted to ask, start with the race in Houston on Sunday. Did everything go pretty typically before the race in terms of like your pre-race routine? Did anything out of the ordinary? stand out to you like oh that is the day that that happened before i hit set the american record it was all pretty standard for you uh no nothing too exciting it was, it was pretty standard yeah uh nothing nothing pre-race anyway no okay so the race begins and he walked mariam who ended up winning the race she takes it out very hard i think it was about 15 14 through 5k and you and just one judd who you're running with gapped uh what did you expect to be running with her or were you surprised how quickly she took out what's going through your thought process when she starts running that fast? Yeah, I wasn't surprised. I had a feeling her and maybe Debaba because we didn't know um, how fit she would be. 
uh, that they could take off and start running really fast. And I talked to Ray before the race and he told me to run about like 506s, but that um, if there wasn't a group to run with that, it'd be better me running like 503, 504 uh, minute miles and like having a group and then like doing that versus 506s solo. And we were definitely going faster than that. But I remember um, we started off and the first mile was under five minutes and Ray told me that would probably happen. So not a big deal. But um, but then like we didn't really slow down that much. And I kept like I looked behind me and there wasn't really like anyone there. So I kind of was just like I either have to commit to this pace and uh, hope I don't die too much or I'd slow down too much. Eventually I'll have to correct. But um, either do that or run a half marathon solo. And I really didn't want to do 13 miles solo. So I was, I was like, you know what? I'll try this. This feels okay. I'll slow down eventually at some point and um, get into a rhythm. But for right now, like I, I want to run with a group of men. And uh, Jess Judd was right there and she was there for a while. She had a great, great race. I I think she can run a lot faster if she gets into a more evenly paced half marathon. So I think uh, she'll see a lot of success on the roads too. But yeah, definitely started off faster than uh, than we were hoping, but I don't regret going with them. Mm -hmm. And in Chicago, you famously weren't aware of your pace uh, during a lot of the race. Were you aware how quick you were going in Houston? Yeah, yeah, I was aware how quick I was going and I was looking at my watch um, every mile to see what I was hitting. Uh, and I didn't look at my watch in Chicago, but um, sometimes I do this thing where I say you something and in my head it makes perfect sense. And then afterwards I get a lot of follow-up questions uh, in Chicago, I did have two pacers, so I didn't really have to worry so much. I'm like, well, like that's their job. And they did a great job with that, um, Brian and Johnny. And my job was just to like, see if that pace felt right. If I needed to go a little faster or slower, adjust from there. Um, and then I like intentionally didn't want to look at my watch the first half of Chicago, but then I unintentionally shut it off, uh, like halfway through the race. So I didn't really have a choice. Um, but it worked out fine. I saw the halfway split in Chicago and, um, it really helped me like kind of dial in and focus on how I was feeling in that race. But this one's different when you don't have pacers, you kind of do have to pay attention to that. Which do you prefer? No, you know, having the constant feedback of seeing a split every mile or not really knowing what pace you're on, just having these people to guide you along. I, I really enjoyed Chicago. I liked kind of just focusing on what felt right because, like I wasn't being coy. I really going into that race just wanted to like whatever whatever my like maximum um, like effort was that day to really like or not maximum effort um whatever my uh, like best was on that day I wanted to just reach that potential. And if that was like two nineteen forty, like I would have been happy with that. Or if that was two nineteen flat, I would have been ecstatic with that. And so I really just focused on is this a pace that like I can sustain? How am I feeling? Um, can I pick it up? And Throughout the race a couple of times, I was able to talk to Johnny and be like, I can go a little bit faster in Chicago. And that was kind of fun, just going going off feel. So, um, but then I don't know, I guess Houston's fun too, because when you don't have people pacing you, you have to like almost use a different part of um, your brain making decisions. Do I stay with this pack? Do I try to catch that person in front of me? It's just different types of racing, I guess. So overall, I mean, I guess Ray said something about 506, which is, he knows you pretty well because that would be sixty six fifty one, and you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been the same ball. <laughs> you ran sixty six fifty two. Like, I mean, obviously you got the American record. You're the first American under sixty seven minutes on a records eligible course. So congratulations. Thank you. But like, what? Uh, 
what was the, I mean, obviously the goal was the American record, but like, what did you, when you finished, what did you think of that performance on the scale of zero to 10? How, how would you rate it? Like, what were you thinking pre-race? Like, what was your, did you have an A goal, a B goal, a C goal? Um, I wanted to go for the win. And then like along the way, like if I won the race, I figured I'd set the record because it usually is one an under American record, um, an under American record time. So my goal was to try to go for the win, but she was just too good um, on that day. And like, I, I think I'm actually, I think that was a good race um, given how it went out. And I like, I'm happy with where I'm at in training right now. I think that's like a good, like solid run. I'm not as fit as I was in Chicago. Um, I'm not out of shape either though. So I think for where I'm at right now in my training cycle, like that's like a good performance. Um, so I'd like to run faster and I'd like to get a little quicker at the half marathon. Um, I just need to find one timing wise that makes sense. And, uh, and yeah, I think, I think a lot of American women can run faster in the half marathon. And I've always wondered why, um, most of our PRs really aren't like, um, quite indicative of what like we're capable of. And I, I think like the timing of Houston is a big, big part of that. Cause that's the one fast half marathon. And, um, if you're a marathoner, like you're either just coming off a fall marathon or getting ready for a spring, spring one. And then a lot of track athletes, their main focus is like just making, um, the team, like, or, like USA is their main goal. And, uh, yeah, but I think there are a lot of women that can go faster. Like, I think, like, I don't think I'm the only one that can uh, go faster than that. So, um, maybe we should just make like a marathon project type course, like for the half marathon out in, uh, in Arizona and fly we're not here. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be awesome because like you said, a lot of people, when Americans, when they race the half marathon, it's inopportune times or they it's part of their preparation for a marathon and that's really the race they're peaking for so we were talking about this earlier on the podcast before you joined your american record in the marathon is four minutes and 25 seconds off the world record in the marathon and your american record in the half is four minutes off of the world record in the half marathon so it would certainly seem like there's sort of some time to be chopped off there and you've said that too like whether it's you or someone else, like how far do you think Americans can take that half marathon record? Like, do you think sub 66 is reasonable or is it 66 30? Where do you think that could be if, you know, we get that marathon project type race and everyone's going for it? Yeah, I definitely don't want to set like a limit or like a ceiling. Um, but I think like based on, uh, people we're competitive with, um, I don't know, seeing someone like when I see like Ailish McColgan run like 6630, I'm like, okay, I like I'm usually like competitive with her. So that's probably where I should be at. Um, or um like uh cluster cluster heaven, is that how you say your last name? Cluster Halfen. Last wait, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking 66. I'm like, okay, like we have Americans competitive with her. Um so yeah, I think like in that ballpark um is where we can get. And I don't know if maybe like Europe has more half marathons. I think they definitely do. Um but yeah, I don't know. Like I, like I think people are capable of it. So um, it'd be fun to see. Uh, but yeah, that's my main theory why a lot of Americans haven't run faster. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's the only thing I could think of. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably a good, uh, good like um, thing that good area to shoot for the low sixty six minutes. Was this race like its own training cycle, or was this part of your your next marathon cycle? Uh, no, it's like kind of leading into my next marathon cycle. I I came out of Chicago feeling really good. Um, and training's been like, it's been solid. It's been fine. I've had like little hiccups here and there, like unrelated to Chicago, just the typical like getting sick, um, rolling an ankle type stuff um, that have like 
like dealing with that stuff that kind of kept me from getting in too much of a rhythm. Um, and I think that's okay though, because like, I have like a big training block coming up. So I think just like getting in some good solid training right now is a good place to be in January. So, um, hopefully, uh, hopefully a smooth, like 12 weeks coming up, but, um, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how it unfolds. One more question about race day in Houston. how do you celebrate? Are you a glass of wine after the race person? Are you a hamburger person? How do you celebrate these things? Uh, I usually go for a glass of wine. Yeah, that's usually um, my go-to. But after a marathon, I just want like hamburger fries, like some, something like that. Uh, I actually don't want anything sweet. I think it's from just all the the fueling in the race uh, and before, like because it's just so much like so much carb loading that I don't even want to look at a donut afterwards. I just want like fries and uh, and and my wine. <laughs> so what was the wine of choice in Houston? Do you remember? Uh, it was a Malbec. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that's my wife's favorite red. She's, really? she's told, yeah, she's told me when I go out to the wine store, she, I don't drink wine. Tell me if this is true. She's like, Robert, because a lot of times if she drinks Sauvignon Blanc, like she's like, I mean, if she drinks, yeah. um, if she drinks a cab, she's like, get the an expensive one. But if it's Malbec, she's like, don't waste your money on the, on the expensive one. It, it, I like it as cheap as you want to get it. It's very, it's, I don't, that didn't make sense to me, but. <laughs> Oh, I, I don't know about that, but I, I have an app. It's called Vivino and I like take a picture of a bottle of wine and then it has like a rating and it gives me. And so I do like different price ranges and like sometimes the cheaper one actually is rated like higher than the more expensive one. And oh man, wine. <laughs> I have a similar app for, uh, for beer. It's called Untap, So I know exactly yeah. uh, what you mean. I was going to try to figure out what marathon might be in 12 weeks. I found one that's in 13. I'm not going to try to get you to reveal it on the show, but <laughs> I am curious. It sounds like you're running an overseas marathon um, mm. and, you know, not doing Boston. Is that because of the hills? I mean, Boston is a hilly course. Historically, you haven't liked the hills. Explain yeah. that, the rationale behind that. So I, I think I'm hesitant because I just don't want to get the story stuck in my head that I don't like hills. Um, I think Boston is probably the one course I will have to prepare for the most with the hills. Um, uh, it probably won't come most naturally to me, uh, but I have um, I have run well on hilly courses in the past, but not for marathons. <laughs> so, and I don't know if that like makes a big difference. Like running like a hilly um, like six k race or something, you're just not out there for that long. Maybe the hills don't beat you up quite as much as they do over like a half marathon versus a marathon, but um, but yeah, I think we did choose a flat one for the spring. And uh, this year, especially, we probably will stay away from hills. And it's more not because I don't think I can run well on them. Because um, Ray and I do think I can, if I train for it, I think I could run well in New York um, if I prepare for it. But um, it's more I recover really a lot better from flat courses if um, if I go in healthy anyway. And because uh, for me, my... And so quad dominant, that's my, my weakness. And so coming off any hilly race, even if it's just like the New Haven 20K, my hills or my like quads will be beat up from the downhills. So, um, so with it being an Olympic year next year, uh, recovery and kind of just trying to stay healthy is a big, big focus of ours. Obviously you still have to make the team, but they have revealed the Olympic marathon course. It is fairly middle hilly in that middle section have you looked at it at all do you have any thoughts on uh the olympic marathon course in paris next year 
I looked at it and I read it in feet instead of meters at first. So I was like, oh, that's not so bad. <laughs> and then I realized it was meters and I was like, oh, <laughs> that's actually, that looks tough. Um, yeah, I'm curious about that because um, like it it is extreme. And that's the one thing with marathons that makes me a little nervous. Anything that's too extreme, I'm like, oh, like you just don't really know until you're out there how you'll handle it. Uh, but the one one positive thing like I would try to focus on if I made the team is Ray. Ray has told me in the past, he thinks I can run hills as long as I have like flat stretches of road to recover um, before and after. And you kind of, you you do, you have like a good bit of the middle of the course is um, pretty hilly and it's a lot of climbing, um, but it's not like in Atlanta where it's constantly rolling. So, I mean, that's what I hope. I will have to do some training um, that would mimic the course if I were to make it. Um, so, and that would probably give me better feedback. But yeah, I think uh, I think the rolling hills of Atlanta was what he said probably got me more than anything, not the amount of like climbing more. So like there was just no flat, like there was not one flat part. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing that quote where he said it was just a certain type of hills. I mean, I mean, we've got the elevation chart up on the screen now. It's like 15 K totally flat. Then you go uphill for 5 K. Then you come down here for 1 K then flat for 7 K uphill for 2 K downhill. And then, I mean, I think like, 32 or 33 kilometers of it is, is totally flat. So yeah. It's really interesting. <laughs> and yeah, plus like, I don't think anyone's going to really be, I mean, if you want to make a big move, is someone really going to blast it before you even get to halfway? So I would think people might be cautious on that hilly part, which might be nice. And then it would be interesting to see in that second big hill approaching 30 K that might be a natural spot, obviously for somebody to try to break things open. Yeah. I can see nothing like that. If you, I'm curious, when you pick an overseas marathon, is that a financial hit? Like, would an American marathon pay more, or is it really not that much of a difference? No, the American ones will pay more. Yeah, definitely. Um, but we were just like, and I do want to do, I want to do all the majors. So I do want to do Boston. I want to do New York. I just have to time it um, right for my what my big goals are, and kind of work back from that. Um, but yeah, so right now we're working back from the Olympic trials. So, uh, the overseas one made the most sense in our plan right now. Uh, but yeah, it is, it is a little bit of a financial hit, but, um, but I do feel like, uh, like we're in a good enough place. We don't have to always choose marathons, like based on what's paying the most. Um, it, that's kind of our, our approach is more just focus on running well. And then like, and, and then that, like that part will follow. Um, so don't focus on just like always trying to make the most, um, like get the biggest appearance view. It's not going to be the best race result or might like set you up poorly for the trials, which then I don't know, like, that's kind of how we operate, I guess. I mean, you got all these American records, like what's, what motivates you? Like, what do you want to do in this next marathon? What's your big goal there? Is it to win it, to run another American record? What's your, and for the rest of your career, what, what is the big goal? Um, for this next one, my goal is to be, it's a, it, it's a really good field. So, um, I want to be able to compete with that field and hang in there. Um, I know what kind of pace they're going to go out at and I need to get really fit to be able to do it. Um, but my goal is to run faster and be competitive with that field. Um, but then my big career goals, I feel like luckily I do feel like I have been able to, um, do a lot of things I've hoped to do, um, which is, which is kind of nice. And the two, like, really big goals I still have left are um, I'd like to medal and I'd like to try to win a major. And those are the two things that um, I feel like motivate me the most. And I'm only third, 31 and people are running well into their 
like late thirties, actually early forties now. Um, so like, I'm hoping like if I just keep trying, like maybe one day it'll click, uh, but I could work really hard and like accomplish neither of those things. Cause they're so hard to do. Uh, but like that probably motivates me the most or those two big, big goals. Yeah. The, the women are, you know, the careers are, are, you know, look at Kira D'Amato, pretty amazing what she's doing mm -hmm. at, at her yeah. late thirties. But you know, one thing that's gotten a lot of publicity and I think in a good way over the last decade or so really has been the push for women to, to get more rights, like maternity leave, Alicia Montana really led the way. Allison Felix jumped on board. Um, you know, Lauren Fleshman has this new book out about the different challenges that women face. You know, have you, have you thought about that? Like down the road, like, Hey, do I want to have a family? If so, do I want to have my own, you know, adoption? Like, that's just a thing that men don't have to think about, but you, I guess you've got some good role models in Molly, Molly, uh, Huddle and, and Kim Smith that, that did have children. Like, is that something that's crossed your mind? Yeah, it's definitely something we talk about because, um, especially as a distance runner, often our prime years, uh, well, I mean, people are stretching it later and later people are running really well into their late thirties, like we said, uh, but oftentimes your peak years in running overlap with, um, when you want to have kids. So, uh, it is something my husband and I have talked about, um, even like early on, because we knew this was the career that I was, uh, uh, I was taking. And, um, I'm really lucky that I have people like Molly Huddle. Um, I have Kim Smith, Roisin McGettigan. I have a lot of older, um, teammates that I looked up to in the past and I can go to with questions about this. And, um, I'm really thankful for all the work people have done to, um, to earn more uh, like maternity rights for women because um, that benefits athletes like me and um, the younger women coming up. And so we like, we do want to have our own family someday. And it's nice um, to not have that stress so much um, that I was reading about Lauren's book. Uh, and also like being able to just to see the transparency that like with the transparency that Molly uh, shares of how like um, she I'm oh, sorry, I'm messing my words right now. <laughs> it's nice being able to see a realistic comeback after um, after having a child, like seeing Molly like share with all of her followers on Instagram, like this is week like 12, um, uh, like post childbirth. Uh, and this is what I'm doing. And just getting to see that natural like kind of progression back to fitness and then see her have a great run like she did in Houston. Um, like it's inspiring for me to see, and it kind of helps me realize you, you can have, you can have both. So um, I, I kind of think I trailed off there, but I think I might have answered your question. Yeah, that was great. Uh, speaking of which, you beat a, a three-time mom and one of the greatest runners in history in Houston, Turner Stababa. Was that nice yeah. to, to add to the bucket list of, hey? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, she's not at her, like, her best right now. So it's more, it was cool seeing her in person just because, like, Oh, she's just accomplished so much. But I did know the last like four years she's had three kids. So we didn't really know where her fitness was going to be because like most of the past like four years, she hasn't been running probably very much. Uh, but she's one of the best ever. So you don't you don't ever count someone like her out. Like she's one of those people that like is just so talented and um one of the greatest ever that you just you, you never know where she's going to be at. So it was um yeah, it was cool, like actually just seeing her and meeting her. But um but yeah, I wouldn't I don't know. She's not her best right now. So I probably wouldn't think of it like that. So we're in an interesting time in the women's marathon, probably coming off of the greatest year in the history of the women's marathon. You ran 218-29 in Chicago last year. On January 1st, 2022, that would have put you number 14 all time. But 
it only put you number 20 on the 2022 world list. God. That's how fast this event was last year. And obviously the shoes help compared to five or six years ago, but does that alone explain this explosion? Like, do you have any theories on why suddenly we're seeing 214s, 215s, 216s with regularity in this event? It just seems like there's more depth because the, like, the top times haven't dropped as much. Uh, the world record hasn't, but like, there's just so many more sub 219, sub 220 women out there. Um, and I'm sure the shoes definitely help, but I, yeah, I don't know. I like, do you think more people are just moving up to the marathon earlier in their careers? Um, like, um, yeah, do you think maybe that's part of it or like from the track as opposed to waiting till the end? Yeah, I don't know. We couldn't really figure it because there's not, there has not been a similar bump on the men's side. And I don't know if it's just there's more Canadian Ethiopian women taking it up, but it's not limited to that country because obviously you and Kira also broke the American records last year. I don't know. That's kind of why I was asking you if you had any theories because we don't, we can't really <laughs> figure out this explosion. It's one of those things I can't quite figure out either. Like the only thing I could think of was more people are moving up. More people are moving up in general earlier. Like how old's Gaday? Like she's she's quite young, isn't she? Yeah, she's probably twenty three or twenty four, right? Yeah. Like I don't think people moved up that early before, did they? And so there's more, maybe more people like her that are still like in. Like she could be running really fast on the track, but is then also like reaching to the marathon now. Um, I actually I don't know. I don't have an answer for that one, but I find it interesting too. Yeah. Do you feel pressure to, as just an American distance runner, to kind of raise the game and to keep up with them? Because 218 a few years ago, that would have been one of the very best in the world. And you did, I mean, you got second in a world marathon major running it. So it's not exactly, you know, chopped liver, but you're also like four minutes behind the winner in that race. So do you feel like pressure as an American to kind of keep stepping it up and to catch up with these women up front? Um, a little bit, but then I also know, like, I. Like I can only improve as much as I can improve, if that makes sense. Like I can only be as good as like I'm ever capable of. Um, and I think I can run faster than 21829. I, I don't think I could have run faster on the day. I think that was as fast as I could go. Um, but I do think I can run faster and I do think I can be competitive. Um, but like I don't I don't know where my ceiling is. Um, and I don't want to put like a limit on it or anything, but I guess I'm focusing on what can I do to stay healthy, to do as much training as I can so that I can um reach that potential if that makes sense um and whatever that is that is uh and maybe my best bet for trying to win a marathon major isn't been a flat fast course or maybe um i do like keep showing up and um like maybe you just have to have like some like to be kind of lucky on the day i i don't know but i, I do think can, can can keep improving um but i don't think to myself well how can i run 215 pace because that's not uh how you like you improve it how can i just get faster than i am today um and so that's how i look at things that seems like a very smart approach because that's what we saw the previous generation of american women whether it was Shlaine flanagan winning new york des linden winning boston amy Cragg meddling at worlds they would just get themselves as in as good shape as possible and keep taking their shots. And eventually all three of them got one of those big rewards. So I think that, yeah. that makes sense to take the same approach. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, they've been inspiring women to look up to. I was there when both Des and Shlaine won. Um, and both those days were just so cool. So, um, yeah, we've had, luckily we've had a lot of women to look up to that have, um, yeah, been doing great things right now. We'll try to get you out of here soon. We promised you 25 minutes. And we're already <laughs> over that. So one or two more questions. 
But I'm wondering if you said you're counting back from the trials. So mm -hmm. you must kind of have the, the rest of the year after this spring marathon planned out. What does that look like? Is it going to be any track races? Are you going to do another fall marathon b before um, the trials? Like, what are you thinking? Um, so Ray told me not to decide on a fall marathon until after I was about to say the marathon I'm doing <laughs> until after my spring marathon. Uh, so he said to decide we can choose in May um, what uh, if I'm going to do like a late summer or early fall marathon or if I just want to wait till the trials. So he he just wants to see how I come out of the spring one. He said if I come out of it as well as I did Chicago, then I can definitely do one. And I'd like to. So I'm hoping I do. Um, and then if not, I'll just get on the roads and maybe do some like road 10 Ks, maybe fly to Europe for like a fast half marathon. Um, I like, I'd get back on the track. Yeah, I do like the track. Um, I just found full track seasons beat up my body a little too much. So I like, I wouldn't do that and I can't do that if I'm doing a spring marathon anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think, uh, kind of just have to wait and see, but I'm open to a lot of things. World half, would that appeal to you in, in Latvia at the end of September? Oh, I forgot about that one. Uh, yeah, that appealed to me depending on what we decided to do. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the marathon's your best event? I mean, Ray told us years ago when you were in college that you'd be a good marathoner, but do you feel like you're better at the marathon than the half marathon and the 10K? Or and which, huh? which do you prefer, I guess, too? I actually, I like switching it up. I really do. I don't, I don't have a favorite event. Uh, Time-wise, it probably is my best relative to all my other PRs, but uh, it's probably still too early to say because um, I made an, uh, an Olympic team on the track in the 10K. So um, yeah, I guess it depends on how you uh, define like what's the best or what's the most successful. Um, but I don't know. I, we'll see, I guess. I'll know at the end of my career. <laughs> All right. Well, Emily, we thank you so much for joining us. I think, you know, we covered everything we wanted to to go over and obviously congratulations again on another incredible run in Houston last weekend and best of luck this spring. I'm sure we'll be excited to follow whatever marathon you end up running. Thank you. Scientists say this may be the most depressing week of the year. We beg to differ with the great action in Houston, MLK day yesterday and the Dallas Cowboys winning. No, this isn't the worst week of the year, but if you do need a little pick me up, we've got one for you. It's called therunnerbox.com. For as little as 29 bucks, you get over $50 of hand-picked running goods delivered to your door every other month. You can cancel it anytime. You got great stuff in here, and you never know what you're going to get, which I think makes it even better. Just this month in the box, there's Element, Bonk Breaker Salted Caramel Protein Bar, a Knuckle Light Safety Blinker, Epsom Recovery Lotion, Goo Energy Chews, Sport Protein, Organic Lip Balm, PB&J Fruise Balls, Dark Chocolate Cereal, and a lot more. You got to check it out, and you can still use code LETSRUN22 to save 10 bucks. This is the pick-me-up you need to get your running in 2023 on track. If you're still on the fence, all the boxes are packed and shipped by P.E.K.K.A. Inc., which is a nonprofit vocational re rehab group that provides job opportunities for persons with significant disabilities and other barriers to employment. Check it out now. Link in the show notes, therunnerbox.com.